<clears throat> when Pam and I went to Tulsa, 1981, uh, well, it was about a year afterwards, I went to Bible school. And uh, one of the first classes that I ever had was righteousness. And uh, I didn't believe that God could ever use me in ministry. Uh, I knew what I had done. I knew he knew what I had done. And I knew other people knew what I had done. So, I, <laughs> matter of fact, we all knew what I had done. So I, uh, I, I just didn't think that there was any way that I could ever be used. Probably the most important class that I ever had in Bible school was righteousness. Learning who I was in Christ. That old things had passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that I was a new creation created in the image of God for good works and that he never changed his mind about the plan he had for me. Totally, totally set me free. Totally set me free. You know exactly what I'm talking about and you are free or if you aren't, you're going to learn how to be free by reading the word of God and that God has a great plan for your life. Woody has traveled the country, the world. He's a tremendous motivator, uh, a great minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I count him a dear friend. I really love Woody Woodson. Let's give him a warm victory. Hallelujah. You're loving Jesus. Well, if you're loving Jesus, you can sit down. If not, stand up so I know who you are. That never works, you know. I'm going to have a good time tonight, whether you, you know, how many of you know we have a happy pappy? There's no sad Holy Ghost. And years ago, God told me, you can worry when I do. Come on now. So I've learned that, you know, worry is not the will of God. We got a couple of quick announcements we always do, if you know. If you want a CD of the month from us, you can sign up as partners. But we also have, like, you know, the book Righteousness Reveals, a great book my wife wrote. And uh, it's probably the best book I know on righteousness. I know you've used it in your Bible school here, and it, it, it's, it's outstanding. My wife's on how to hear the shepherd's voice. It, it, you know, if you don't know how to hear the voice of God, you will, you will not be at the right place at the right time doing the right thing in the right way. Because honestly, it's not just the general, the word will give you general direction, but the voice of God will make, bring it into specifics. Come on. And then, you know, my wife's newest book that she wrote last year, she has stuff that's about ready to come out, is The Healing Flow. And it's what she learned from Oral Roberts about the healing ministry. She wrote for Oral for years and... Uh, it's also, it will help you receive healing and help you minister healing. So it's, it, 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 and there are a lot of things shared in this book. Oral never shared. It came by observation of what he did. So that's pretty neat. Well, tonight, tonight, tonight I'm going to get into something right away. I know some of you are in Miracle Land. Miracle Land is the Red Sea in front of you, the Egyptian army behind you, and God has to be God or we're in trouble. Come on now. And some of you are there tonight. And so we're going to get into some stuff tonight. And we're going to find out that there, it's one thing to believe in miracles. It's another thing to walk in the miraculous. Amen. And, you know, if you've got your Bibles, you can go to Psalm 42. I want to talk about what's so dear to my heart. And, and my son's church right now in, in Silicon Valley is is in revival. They have been in revival now for uh, over a year and a half. 
they've been averaging about 30 first-time decisions for Christ every week for over 52 straight weeks. They planted five churches this year. And they average, in all their church plantings, they average about 100 first-time decisions for Christ a week. So, you know, and they're, win and they're winning the people that were the unreached people group. You know, Silicon Valley, many of the people going to their church are MIT graduates, Cornell graduates, Harvard graduates, Yale graduates. And they are so fired up, it's totally ridiculous. But Psalm 42, verse 7 is, is, uh, is really a tension of revival because, honestly, there's a tension that goes on in me between the fact that I'm satisfied yet not satisfied. Amen. I'm satisfied with Jesus, but I'm not satisfied with all that I've experienced of Jesus. Come on, because I know there's more. Amen. And there's a deep that calls on the deep, and there needs to be a deep that answers. And Psalm 42, 7 talks about the deep call. And I don't know about you, I have a cry in my heart to see a move of God. Because God told me a while back, he said, why settle for meetings when you can have a move of God? And I told God a long time, I mean, just recently, especially this year, I've dedicated myself. I said, I don't want to ever do another meeting. Don't ever want to do another meeting because I found out about meetings. You take good notes, but you're not changed. Amen. Come on. Amen. I want to get you face to face in the glory of God. Amen. Come on. Because his glory will change you. His presence will change you. Amen. See, most charismatic churches have settled for tongues, but the promise was for power. Now, I'm telling you, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. I am not making light of that. I do pray in tongues, but that wasn't the end result. The end result was supposed to be power. You shall receive power, Acts 1.8 says, after the Spirit of God comes upon you. You shall receive power to be witnesses. And it said even when Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost, he was led in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil in Luke 4.1. But said later on, he came back after passing the test in the power of the Spirit. Then he made the statement, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me. Because honestly, when you're full of the Holy Ghost, you still don't see a whole lot of miracles. But when you're in the power of the Holy Ghost, come on, blind eyes open. Miracles, signs, wonders, miracles follow you. See, I don't know about you, but I don't want, you know, I, I, I don't want to preach enticing words of men's wisdom. I want to come in demonstration of the power. That your, that your faith in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but the power of God. Even the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, I'm giving you a lot of stuff tonight. I'm going to overload you. But he, in verse 19, 20, he said, I've heard about these preachers. He said, I've heard about their words. Now I'm going to examine their power. For the kingdom of God's not a mere word. It's in power. Come on. See, I want to see a demonstration of God. 
I want to see what only God can do in our midst. Come on now. I, you know, I know what we can do. It isn't all that impressive. But I know what God can do too. Several years ago, I was at Oral Roberts University, and, and I, I believe we all should have quiet time, a time alone with God every day. I believe that. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. You know, and you can't live off of one meal a week at church. So I was spending my time, my, my, my quiet time with God, minding my own business. It was three days before Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year because I love to eat. It's, it's like a God cheat day. I mean, it's a God-ordained cheat day. Legalized gluttony. Come on now. And so I'm all excited, spending time just praying. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I, I don't want you going home for Thanksgiving. I want you to stay on campus. I got something for you. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> he said, yes, I do. I said, now I started thinking about scriptures I could use against God to, to, to disobey. <laughs> I thought of a good one because I was still living under the roof of my dad. My dad bought the ticket. And I, do, I honestly believe when children live under the roof of their parents, they are to obey their parents. When children are no longer under the roof of the parents, they are to honor their parents. They don't have to necessarily obey. There's a difference. And, you know, but I was still under the roof. So I said, God, you said I have to obey my parents. My dad was still alive. My mom had died, but my dad was still alive. So I was going to call him up. And I did. I called. I said, Dad. I said, as quietly as I could, God said, I'm supposed to stay on campus. And he's got something for me. And I said, a little lot louder. But if the Bible says I must obey you. And the Bible is the word of God. So if you love me and want me home for Thanksgiving, I, I have to obey you. And this is what my dad said. If God spoke to you, what is the question? So, so he gets really spiritual on me at that moment. So I remember that Thanksgiving eating out cans. Really regretting feeling sorry for myself. And, you know, it was me and the, the uh, 10 other foreign students on campus because they couldn't go home. And that was it. That's all that was on. The cafeteria wasn't even open. And I'm sitting there feeling sorry for them. The next day, I'm so upset still, I went out to the aerobic center to work it off, you know, pump some iron. <laughs> Get aggressive. And I start... I mean, I am doing a workout, and in walks Oral Roberts. Now, you understand something. You never saw Oral on campus. The people who understand ORU, it, like I do because I've been underground there, is there's a tunnel system to every single building. Oral never, ever walked above ground. You never saw him unless it was a Photoshop. He was going from building to building because there were threats against his life, and basically, he was going, you know, the tunnel system was for his protection. So when, him, when he walked in without security, I'm sitting there, whoa. 
And then he asked me my name, and I was so nervous, I started stuttering. He said, what's your name? I said, woo, 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 woo. Yeah, brother, woo, woo, whatever. But finally, I said, Woody Woodson. He said, I used to stutter, too. God can heal that. And then, then he finally, I was finally able to talk. He said, do you mind taking a walk with me? He asked me, he said, what are you called to do? And I, I, I mentioned that it's called to preach. He said, do you mind if I share some secrets? And I took a 30-minute walk with probably the greatest general of our generation. And he was telling me how he prepped for meetings. He was telling me the struggles that you can expect. And he was telling me how he could even tell if there was a demon in the room. And literally, my heart's burning. It's on fire. And I'm thinking, I'm so glad I'm here. And the last thing he says, see to it. He said, I look, and he said, if you don't forget anything, he said, don't ever forget what I'm about ready to tell you, son. I never have. He said, before I would pray for the sick, before I would go out in my miracle crusades, he said, I would stay back there until I sensed the Holy Spirit come on me. Because he said, there were a few times I didn't. And I would pray the exact same prayers, and I would do the exact same thing, no miracles. But he said, when the Holy Ghost came on me, he said, change me into another man. And it was like Jesus himself. In fact, when the Holy Spirit came on me, I could do exactly what Jesus could do. And he said, don't ever forget Luke you know, 24, 49. It's the last thing Jesus told his disciples. Don't leave Jerusalem till you're clothed with power from on high. Don't try to do this thing in the power of the flesh. God do it by the Spirit of God. It just makes sense. God wants to clothe you with power from on high. See, I'm going to be honest with you. See, see, literally, revival's not locked up in the heavens waiting for enough desperate cries and persistence prayers to pull it down. Revival's already in you. Come on, the kingdom of God is within you. You've got all, you've got the fullness of God in you. You've got, literally, you've got all that it takes to turn this entire world upside down. You, you have all the power you need, but what we need is a revelation of that power. Come on. See, kingdom of God's not without word observation. How many people understand? A lot of times God doesn't answer. Jesus didn't answer the questions they people asked. He answered the questions they should have asked. In Luke 17, the Pharisees said, when is the kingdom coming? And Jesus didn't answer when. He said, the question is not when, the question is where. So he said, you're looking for a time, I'm telling you about a place, that the kingdom of God is already within you. That the kingdom of God is already within you. Come on. It doesn't come with the observation from the outside. Come on. You already got what it takes. So I found out something about revival. That the revival is not merely an event or church service or conference or special gathering. I've had people announce, we're going to have a revival. I, I said, well, maybe. <laughs> Chances are you're going to have several meetings. 
some people's emotions may get stirred. That doesn't make a revival. See, revival is a fresh wind from heaven. Revival is when the enemy comes like in like a flood. I mean, literally in. It's like God literally answers it with the flood of his glory. Come on. Every problem is for the glory of God. Every problem is for the glory of God. Because every problem is solved by the glory of God. Where sickness, disease, or financial lack, everything is for the glory of God. The answer of God is God's manifest presence. That's the only answer. I'm tired of having meetings about God instead of meetings with God. I want a fresh wind from heaven. I want a fresh fire. I want something we can't contain. I want to be so full of God. You know, all revival is is overflow. That's all it is. It's not a witnessing program. It's when you can't shut up about it. Where you're so excited you got to tell somebody. Where you prophesy even when you don't know you're prophesying. When you're just walking in the spirit and you're just splashing everywhere you go. Come on. You know, God is not a God of just enough. He's a God of too much. See, revival is not simply a season of heightened spiritual activity. It's a massive outpouring. You know, I, ask, I said, God, you know, you know what revival is? It's your flesh being covered. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon all flesh. I asked God, hey, God, you said, I said, Lord, you said you're coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. I said, how can that be? He said, the only place there's spot or wrinkles is in the flesh. So literally, if the flesh is covered, there's no spot and there's no wrinkle. So I'm coming back for a church that has the flesh covered. Is all right? Your sons and your daughters, they're going to prophesy. Signs, wonders, miracles. See, revival's not even a time of visitation, then back to business as normal. Revival causes transformation that changes everything in reformation and redefines business as normal. It brings you to another level where you never have to return. And you never want to return. You know, several, so a couple of years ago, I got, a, someone found me on Facebook that I hadn't seen in over 20 some odd years. And he told me this. He said, you ruined my son's life over 20 years ago. I said, really? He said, let me explain. He said, you came to our church. My son was seven years old at the time. And you called him forward. And you began to prophesy over him. And he said, when I tell you the prophecy, you'll remember it. And I did. He said, you prophesied over him that he had over a million souls in him. Now, he would preach in every continent in the world. He said, that day, my son was ruined for everything else. He was totally wrecked. And he couldn't do anything else. And he said, 
I'm sending you a video of him preaching in front of 150,000 people in Pakistan. He said he's preached in every continent in the world. And he said, you, know, you missed it, though. You say we win a million souls. And he's won 3.3 million up until that point. But he was ruined by anything. I said, I want to ruin people's lives. Come on. I want, I'm here to ruin your life today. I'm here to ruin you. Come on now. Because if I can't ruin you, you will stay natural. Several years ago, my son was watching a video of starving kids in Africa begin to weep uncontrollably. And you got to understand something. When you're a genius, and my son has been, you know, it's amazing. You know, got one of the best brains in the world, and now people are recognizing maybe the best computer programmer in the world now. And he began to weep uncontrollably and went back to the bedroom. He picked up his piggy bank, which was his life savings. And I knew the glory of God. You could feel the manifest presence, the atmosphere in the room. I knew it was a special moment. He picked up his his piggy bank, he brought it in. He said, Daddy, this is what I'm giving. What are you giving? That was an expensive night. <laughs> but he said something to me. He said, Daddy, and he was still weeping uncontrollably. He said, when I picked up the piggy bank, he said, God spoke to me. And he said, now I can trust you. You imagine saying that to a seven-year-old boy. God saying, now I can trust you. He said, I've given you a billion-dollar brain. And he said, you will build me. You will build me an orphanage in every country in the world. So from that moment on, he would walk around saying, I got a billion-dollar brain. And his first billion-dollar idea came when he was 21 years old. Started first at $1.7 billion, now it's done $4.9 billion. This year at Google, his team produced $333 billion worth of profit. He said, Daddy, I'm so bored with billion. He said, I'm asking God for trillion. God, I double dare you. I double dare you, God. If, I said, I won't say until you say it because I can't make it happen unless it comes from you. But if you say trillion, I will do it. And because he's a distributor, who knows? Come on. But see, he was wrecked. He was wrecked. See, Isaiah was wrecked. He came into the temple, and it was the year King Uzziah died. The glory of God filled the temple. There's cherubim and seraphim, and there was fresh fire. What did he say? I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips because I found out something about the glory of God. The first thing, you, if you're going to allow the glory to remain, you're going to have to speak at a different level. Amen. You know, God will visit you, but he can't stay there if you're not in agreement. God cleansed his lips. See, I, 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 like I said, I, I just want, I want to see the church wrecked by God. Most of us have enough God to make it to heaven, but we don't have enough God to bring heaven to earth. Amen. 
If you can't draw his presence, then you need to get in it. Come on. It's just okay. See, revival at, the, at, at its very core is participating with Jesus. Come on. He's doing the works of Jesus, even greater works, but doing the works of Jesus. I love Peter because Peter reminds me of me. Big mouth, a fighter. Come on. Gets in his mouth, gets himself in trouble a lot. You know, it's just who I am, man. You know, so I understood Peter. And I remember when, you know, Jesus walking on the water. And the first thing Peter thought when he saw Jesus walking on the water was, I didn't know I could walk on the water. <laughs> because he always did what Jesus did. So what did he say? He said, Jesus, if it's you, bid me come. What was Jesus supposed to say? Ain't me? <laughs> so he said, come. But he didn't say, come, Peter. He just said, come. There were 12 disciples in that boat. They all had the same promise, come. Only one got out of the boat. The rest of them were boat husbands. Come on. You think about two million people that had the promise of the promised land, and only two of them went in. The rest of them were wilderness huggers. So I've learned something. You got to be hungry. You got to be so hungry that your hunger will trump your history. Come on now. Amen. Your hunger has to trump your history or you're not going anywhere. Amen. You don't have to want it so bad. Whatever God has put on your heart, you've got to see. If you can live without revival, you will. I want to see a move of God. See, I don't know about you. I want to see a visitation of God like never before. And I want to see a visitation that ends up being a habitation. I want to see areas where the glory of God hovers just like a canopy. Come on now. I believe you can actually walk 24-7 in the glory of God. I believe Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. And he's trying. The whole earth is groaning that we will wake up to who we really are. God wants to open your eyes to show you stuff. See, what I've learned about revival is it challenges business as usual. You know, I, what I love about God, you, you know the greatest danger to the next move of God is the last move of God. That's the greatest danger. Because so many times we begin to worship the move instead of the God that moves. So I don't embrace the move of God. I embrace the God of the move, so I'll never miss a move. Because I'm not really as, as, as concerned about his hand as I am his face. Come on. If I recognize him, I'm going there, baby. Amen. I love Isaiah 43 because in verse 15, it talks about how God split the Red Sea. 
And he tells the story through the prophet Isaiah, retells the story of what took place. And right after that, he said, now forget it. He said, I've told you this, now forget it. He said, I'm about ready to do a new thing. Come on. I'm about ready to do a new thing. And he said, See, I don't want, I don't want you, I don't want you living back of what I did. I want you to be where I'm doing. Come on now. I don't want you to live in the past. I want you to have a current faith. Come on. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He, he, he wasn't living in the past. He was living currently with God. He said, the problem in the past was the, was the sea, so I split it. It was too much water. He said, the new thing I'm doing is lack of water. Because you're in the wilderness, I'm going to cause streams to flow in the wilderness. I'm going to create water in the wilderness. But he said, it's not as important that you remember what I did, but who did it. Because I'm going to do it again, but I may not do the same thing again because I'm doing a new thing. It may not look like it did before, but I'm going to begin to flow with it. My, son, my son's church's revival doesn't look like the one we had a victory. Doesn't. A whole different breed. But the same God is showing up. People are getting saved, sat, radically transformed. There's fresh fire in the house. See, you don't tell me you're walking with God if you're not on fire. He's a consuming fire. It's impossible not to have passion and be in Christ. If you're walking with God, you are literally going to be on fire with God. No half-hearted. In my son's church, one of the things I, I love, when I see revival happening, I'm listening to see what, what are some of the keys. And, and they, they, they greet themselves with this phrase, we're all in. We're all in. That's how they do it. They greet each other. We're in. We're all in. We're all in. We're all in. That's how, you know, that's you know, literally, they said, we, we're not doing this half-hearted. We're all in. And, they, you know, they don't know what can't be done. That's why they've started ten churches in five years. Started five churches this year. You know, a bunch of radical young people that don't understand that what can't. That's what, what victory was like. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just ablaze. We didn't have a clue. We were literally like F Troop back in the old days. We were. Some of you, you're going to have to Google that. But still. But we didn't know what was going on, man. All we knew is we grabbed hold of God and we were in for the ride of our lives. And everyone else probably looked like it was so smooth. But they weren't where we were. Come on. See, I don't know about you, but revival confronts old wineskins, obsolete traditions, and outdated methods, and God's going to do it every time. And, and see, an old wineskin usually was the wineskin God was using in the last move. Because in the last move, they weren't so proud to dictate to God, these are your borders. God, you're allowed to do this. You're allowed to do this. This is the way you do it, God. God, you don't you dare try to, you know, change our shape. 
So God bypasses that and gets a renewed wineskin or a new wineskin that they, they don't know any better, and all they want is the Holy Spirit. All they want is the flow of God. All they want is the power of God. They, they don't know how it's to be done. They just know the one that's doing it, and all they care about is God manifesting himself. Does this make sense? See, I don't know, revival is a continuous river. See, see I, what people don't understand is we are the Ezekiel River now. Everywhere the river flowed, there was life. Now the river's in us. We are carrying the next move of God. If we'll just release it. We've had it outstanding year, one of the most unusual things is I got a chance to spend some time training doctors and nurses on how to pray for the sick at one of the leading hospitals in America. And the reason I got that is we had, they had four stage four cancer people healed at our meeting. See, I believe in this power stuff. I believe God is not limited by the natural. I don't want to put God in the box because I, you never really put God in the box. You put yourself in. And out of your belly will flow rivers, rivers, rivers. You got the life. But you got to release it. We can change our generation. We can change people's history. But we need to, to wake up to who we are. I remember years ago, when I first got saved, and I'm going to tell the story. But people always remember this. I, use, I tell a lot of times. But, you know, one of the key things in my life is it was Acts 16.31, both me and my household shall be saved. And I was the first one saved in my generation. No other Christian. I was the first one in this generation. And I, I began to cry out to God. I said, God, I want my entire family. I don't want any of them to go to hell. And when I got radically saved, I didn't have wisdom. I just got radically saved. <laughs> so, you know, the first thing I did was try to beat them over the head with the Bible. Yeah. You know, I mean, just beating me, you know, it didn't work. Then I tried to scare the hell out of them. <laughs> that didn't work either. But I was praying, that works. And God saw my heart. And I began to say, God, I don't want anyone to perish. And you know that every family has a key member. Most families are either patriarchal or matriarchal. But there's one relative that if that relative goes, wherever that relative goes, the rest of them go. Come on. In fact, I am now that person in my family. I am now. It's like being the godfather. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Hey, <laughs> I have a certain power. But, you know, but back in those days, it was my dad. Now, my dad was a genius, went to Columbia Law School, went to Princeton first, Columbia Law School, graduated at age 18. He was the youngest law partner in the history of New York State. 
My dad literally was known for his brains. And, you know, Bible says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Well, he was rich. And, you know, rich people don't see their needs sometimes. And it's hard, really, for an intellectual. Because faith is of the heart. It's not of the head. You can't totally figure God out. So he had two strikes against him. And I remember praying for him, and it's so funny because his law partner would call me once a week and say, your dad loves you. Because my dad never told me he loved me. His, he had his guy tell him. And this guy was a macho guy. He hated saying it, so I made him shout it. I can't hear you. <laughs> your dad loves you. And I always say, tell him I love him too, and I'm going to check to see if you did. In fact, one time I even said this, and you know, it's too bad. I, my sense of humor is not always healthy. <laughs> but I, I just want to see how my dad would react. So I told him, I said, he said, yeah, I know. Tell your dad you love I said, no, no. When I tell my dad I love him, I always kiss him on the cheek. Well, I never had. But I was curious to see how my dad would react. When I said, now, you, before you tell him I love him, kiss him on the cheek. My dad called me up right after that. It's the first time he ever called me. So I almost fired that guy because of you. But it was worth it. But anyway, so my dad calls me up, and I, I, that was when I was playing a little bit of baseball, you know. A little bit of pro ball. If I was really good, you'd know who I was. But I'm better than you are because I played. <laughs> Come on. So he calls me up, and he said, take a deep breath. And I take a deep breath, and he said, son, he said, your mom committed suicide. And for the first time in my dad's life, he couldn't write a check and make the pain go away. And he couldn't go to a book and, and explain away what would just take place. And he said, son, I don't know any preachers. At that time, I was doing fellowship with Christian athlete things. I had never done anything with adults. I just did things with youth. And he said, will you preach your mom's funeral service? For the first time I ever preached to adults was my mom's funeral service. Now, you understand, my mom's funeral service, we had senators. We had the former vice president. We had the mayor of New York City. We had metropolitan opera singers. I grew up in New York City. My dad was prominent. And I remember preaching, and my dad and 30 other people got radically saved that day. Gave an altar call. They responded. Then my dad said, I want to go to church with you. I didn't want him to go to church with me. I kept thinking, where do I take him to church? You go to a church that is sort of charismatic, you know, thumbs up. Not hands, just thumbs. Where you, they don't really dance, they just tap one toe. I want them to go to church with Dr. So-and-so was the pastor. That You know, I want them to go to church at a parking lot full of Mercedes and Cadillacs. The problem was I was going to an inner city church. And we didn't have a parking lot. We had a policeman, an armed policeman for the two or three cars that were there. So they'd be there after the service. Our pastor wasn't doctor so-and-so. Our pastor couldn't spell doctor. He may not have been able to spell D-R. I don't know. 
He was from Italy. We had two services, one in Italian, one in English. They both sounded alike. <laughs> so my dad said, I'm going to church with you. He didn't ask. So I'm praying. And this is how I'm praying. God, you have not been moving in the gifts of the Spirit lately. Don't start tomorrow. My daddy's coming. <laughs> Tone it down, God. God, you know about the pastor. He's not very eloquent. Let him use more than one-syllable words. <laughs> then I prayed the big one. I said, Lord, you know Sister Chicken Walk. <laughs> Every time the Holy Ghost hits that woman, she's everywhere. <laughs> I said, Lord, there's a 24-hour virus going around. Don't kill her, but keep her away. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. So he didn't hear a word I said that day. So we're going to church early because everyone sits in the same seat. I don't care where you are. I have this theory that everyone marks their chair. <laughs> they rub their scent into it. It's funny, when, I, you know, when we were at Victory, I knew where several thousand people were every single week. It made no difference. Some of them, they would get there early to get in the balcony. <laughs> I knew exactly where they were. And, in fact, if someone was sitting in their seat, they would actually kneel down and sniff and look at them like, really, dude? So, <laughs> so we're going to church early because Sister Chicken Walk always sat in the middle. I want to sit in the front row so my dad wouldn't see her do her thing. And on the, way, on the way there, my dad says, this is going to be a wild church like a Southern Baptist. I said, I sure hope so. <laughs> Everything's going good until the service starts. Sister Chicken walks late that day because she's doing stretching exercises for the moves she's about ready to show off. <laughs> and she comes, and her seat's empty, and she walks right by her seat. And comes up to the front row and gives me a hug. And says, I feel led to sit with you. I want to hit her with some lead. And here I am. On, I'm in the middle. She's on one side. My dad's on the other side. All during praise and worship. I got my thumbs up. I'm pretending I'm singing. I'm not singing. I'm really saying, make her stop. Make her stop. And every time I do that, a lightning would hit her. Woo! And she's going everywhere. My dad's just staring. <laughs> then it started. Everyone had a tongue. Everyone had interpretation. Everyone had prophecy. Some real, some false. But everyone had some. And I thought it couldn't get any worse. And then three big ushers jumped on this little lady, cast a devil out of her. I would have loved the service if my dad wasn't there. I was sitting there, I'm, you know, by the time the pastor got up to preach, I stopped praying. It wasn't working. I just crossed my fingers behind my back. I'm saying, eloquent God, please, please, please. And the pastor said, you'll never forget my message. I never have. He said, today, church, I want to talk about being hairs of God. I wanted to say silent H. It's heirs, heirs, not hairs, but no, he was on the roll. We are hairs of God. 
We are joint hairs with Christ. We are split ends. I don't know. He said, talked about how we need to be clean hairs, washing in the water of God's word. And I'm staring at my dad. My dad is, he's the president of the Bar Association, not the Alcohol Association, <laughs> the Legal Bar Association. Professor Emeritus at Columbia Law School recognizes one of the top scholars in the world, listening to the hairs of God. <laughs> And I, I knew that service was almost over because in that denomination, you don't preach unless you cry. It's in the handbook. <laughs> and he begins to cry, and he said, Church, this is serious. Sometimes, sometimes a hair backsides. Are you one of God's missing hairs? I say, got God going bald. <laughs> so we are driving home, and it's quiet. What do you say? And all of a sudden, my dad looked over at me after about 15 minutes and said, that was different. <laughs> I said, yes, sir, it was. He said, what's he preaching on Wednesday night? I said, are you going? He said, I wouldn't miss this for anything. <laughs> I mean, within a month, my dad's on the organ. The sister chicken walks, walk. <laughs> but my dad said something to me. He said, no, he said, you know, the pastor wasn't very bright. I said, yeah, I know that. But he said there was a different presence in the place. Now, he was born again less than 24 hours. But he knew there was a different presence in the place. And this is what God spoke to me. When you're ashamed of your church, you're ashamed of your God. If it's good enough for you, why don't you think it's good enough for them? Then the Holy Spirit said, you're not ashamed of the Father, you're not ashamed of the Son. But when somebody you cared about is invited, you asked me not to express myself. He said, son, if you ever ask me not to express myself again, I'll never express myself in your presence. And I'll be honest with you, I have one rule. If it, can be, if it might be the Holy Ghost, we're going with it. If there's any chance it's the Holy Ghost, we're going with it. If there's any possibility at all, we're going with it. I'm not, I'm not as afraid of wildfire as no fire. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've been around all this decency and order and seen you no know, lives being ruined by the presence of God because they're not experiencing the presence of God. You know, I believe we can correct things if, you know, make sure biblically we stay in the lines, but at the same time, we better have the flow. Because it's not by our might, not by our power, not by, but by his spirit. And we need to understand something. You know, revival is not God's best. It gets us back to God's best. Amen. Come on. You Amen. repent. You return. Times of refreshing comes from the presence of God. Amen. You know? And I believe in these last days of revival, a lot of the people we're going to see God using like never before are going to be people that are backslidden right now. I remember when Jesus prayed for Peter in Luke 22. And it's really weird because Jesus did not pray that Peter wouldn't deny him. Because he already said he would. 
He basically said, hey, Peter, I know you're going to mess up. I know you're going to mess up. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you. He said, I'm not praying that your actions will not fail. I'm praying your faith won't fail. Because your actions will. And what he's basically saying is it's possible to honestly, everyone that's backslidden means that they already have the seed in them. They already have that faith seed in them. And what the way you pray for backsliders is like Jesus did for Peter. God, I know what they're doing, but they still have to say, I pray their faith won't fail. I pray their faith won't. I know their actions are failing right now. And not only are I pray their faith won't, I pray they'll return and strengthen the brethren. Not only will they come, but they'll be productive. They will strengthen the brethren. Come on now. See, there's a move of God that's about ready to take. I don't know about you. I'm ready for an overwhelming of God. I'm ready to take the limits off. I'm ready to use the authority. I don't believe that literally that, that you know, you know, I don't believe the community of God is waiting for revival. I believe revival is waiting for the community of God. I believe that the moment we get up and we begin to get filled up, we, there needs to be an intercessory voice who says amen to every promise God already said yes to in heaven. He already gave you his, his, his yes by sending the word. You have to say amen. Come on. There's a fresh fire. I don't know about you. Does this make sense? See, I asked God, and I'm going to close it out. But I said, God, I said, what's the problem? He said, people are asking me to send what I've already sent. It's been raining since the day of Pentecost. There's been open heaven since the day of Pentecost. There's no such thing as closed heaven. The veil was rent. The heavens were opened. Come on. God poured out his spirit. And it's been raining ever since. And when it says ask for rain at the time of rain, it's all God saying is ask for more. And so many people are asking God to do what he's already done. So I, I, I don't ask God to heal me. He did 2,000 years ago. I received my healing. It's a difference. I'm not begging. I'm believing. God's not reluctant. He already did it. It's an inheritance. It's already yours. See, if you live off your earnings, you live poor. You live off your inheritance, you live rich. And I asked God, I said, God, is it wrong to ask for more? He said, no, it's wrong not to. Because I got so much more than what my people are experiencing. But he said, it's how you ask. He said, you're not orphans sitting under the table begging for bread. You're children sitting at the table that you've already enjoyed. A portion. It's almost like you've, you've already enjoyed a meal. But you say, can I have more? 
This is so good. This is so good. This is a taste and see the Lord is good. This is so good. Can I have more? Can I have more? Can I have more? And God said, not only will I give you yours, I'll give you other people's that don't want theirs. Come on now. You can be literally have as much as you want for God. You can have as much as you want. You can have as little as you want or as much as you want. Everything is tied to your want to. Come on. God's not withholding anything. And I don't know about you. I'm ready for fresh fire. I'm ready for fresh anointing. I'm not ready for religion. Religion stinketh. Come on now. I'm ready for relationship. You know, know, John Wesley, last thing. John Wesley was once asked, how do you draw the crowds you do? He said, I just set myself ablaze with the glory of God. And he said, everyone comes to watch me burn. Amen. See, I honestly believe what's going on in my son's church is there's such a fire. I got there two hours before service. There are over 500 young people already there. And and their first service is at 9. I got there at 6.30, actually more than two hours before. And there are already 500 people on campus. There's a buzz. There's a buzz. There's a buzz. There's a buzz. It's, it's not it's just there's a presence. Come on now. There's a presence that, that you know, the people, are, are, are they're expecting, and they can't stay away because they're expecting. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw, I'll draw, I'll draw, I'll draw, I'll draw, I'll draw. I, you don't have to kind of, comp- yeah, I mean, I will actually draw all men unto myself. I will draw them. If, you, if I find a people that will lift me up, if I find a people that will give me glory, I'll draw. Something's about ready to take place tonight. I I didn't come here to have a nice little sweet thing, so we're about ready to pray for you. Because what I want is a demonstration of God. I want a fresh fire all over you. You know, the first thing I need to ask you you know, today, I I could say every head bowed, no one looking around, but half of you cheat anyway. (laughs) But you know, I don't want any of you walking out of here not knowing you're right with God. So the first thing I need to ask, is there anyone here? If you died tonight, you're not sure you're making to heaven. And you want to be sure, I want you to raise your hand, anybody. So everyone know you're okay there? Look at me. Now I'm going to pray God will keep my face in front of your face all the days of your life if you're lying. And just the terror of that situation will drive you to your knees. Come on. I actually had one lady call me up and said, I can't get your face out of my... He said, I go to sleep. I have these nightmares about your face. I said, repent. <laughs> repent, lady. You'll be stuck with this face all the... You know, anyway. But how many of you today would just say, man, I want to be set ablaze. I want to be set ablaze. I'm a, I want to be all in. I want to be all in. I want to be not half in. I want to be all in. You hear what I'm saying? I, I, we're coming all in. I, I, I want us to begin to, I don't believe we'll ever have revival half in. I believe it's all in. I believe it's all in. You come in and you get in the river over your head, over your head, over your head, over your head, until honestly it makes no, you're so saturated with God. If you want that, I want to pray for you. If you want that, come on up, come on up, come on up.